Jesus, today we thank you for that incredible love that you showed us through your death on the cross, that you paid a price that we couldn't pay so that we could have life in you. Jesus, we are so thankful for the continued grace that you show us. We already know that you are here, that you are in this space. We pray that we are aware of your voice, that we hear your voice through your word, and that we obediently respond to you. Amen. You guys may be seated. Oh. <laughs> already dropped something. morning. <laughs> My husband and I stumbled into a small Nazarene church in West Virginia where we're from years back. Our kids were small at that time and um, this was our first experience in a church where God showed up and the pastor would come every Sunday morning and he would preach and we loved him and loved to hear him and one Sunday morning I showed up and I came in and I sat down close here. I, I always needed to be close and um, I looked around and our pastor wasn't there. And I thought, well, what do you do now? What's that mean? And then pretty soon I see coming down the side aisle this very, very old man. He was sort of stooped over. He had white hair. And I confess to you that I sat there and thought, well, what is this guy going to have to say to me? <laughs> what can he possibly have to say? <laughs> and it's funny, but I could tell you now pretty much some of the points from his sermon. Because the power comes in the word. It doesn't come in who's up here proclaiming it as much as it comes in the word that is being shared. And that's what we're here today to do. Um, it's, it's exciting to be here. And we gather here. Uh, and you know, you know this used to be an 84 lumber, right? I mean, it's just a just a store, and a lot of people worked very hard, you know, to get this uh, into a place where we could come and gather and worship on a Sunday morning and throughout the week, too. And for every one of you who know Jesus as your Savior, uh, you know, he goes with you wherever you go, you know? Scripture says that. He goes with us wherever we go. That's always an encouragement to me, and I don't know who showed up here first this morning. I got here a little after 8, and there were already a bunch of people here. The worship team was already here. Don't they do an awesome job? They do a wonderful job, don't they? Uh, and they were already here practicing, running through the songs. They want to do them well, and they want to come and bring their best. And, uh, but for everyone that comes that knows Jesus as their Savior, there's this light of Jesus inside of them. And, you know, the, the, I'm sure this is cold, you know, on a Sunday morning, and the heat has to be turned on, and the lights have to be turned, and the doors have to be unlocked, and all those things. And as one person comes, there's that small light of Jesus with them. And then the next one will come, and then the next will come, and pretty soon there's a little gathering of people, and they bring the light of Jesus with them, and it grows brighter, and it grows brighter. And then when you show up, the people who come to gather on Sunday morning to worship. There's a blazing light of Jesus in this place because his people are here to turn their hearts towards him and worship, and we gather in his name. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for calling us here. We're here to worship you and to hear from you. It's you we need to hear from, Lord, through this word that you have given to me. I believe that. And uh, if we hear from anything else, it will be a waste of our time. 
So we thank you for coming and being with us, and we pray in the name of Jesus. I don't know what you must think about people that come up here to speak. I don't know if you, you think about it, really, but I always used to wonder, and I, uh, well, what do they do? How, what do they do to get it together, you know, to come up here and speak? Uh, and I don't know what everyone does, but I, I know what I do, and so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about that. I'm always sort of looking for something that's going to be highlighted, you know, that God's going to show me, either an experience or something in his word. And I read intentionally, especially when I've been asked to come and speak. I read on purpose and ask for his wisdom and his guidance. You know, scripture is one of those things that's uniquely different from every other book that you have on your shelf. I have so many books at my house, I've started to look around going, Anne, you've got to do something here because some of them have to go. There's just so many. I love to read. I love that study. I love all of those things. But the word of God is different. It even says in his word that it's a living and active word. That means it's alive. And I remember when I first heard that clear back in the day, thinking, well, what was that? I mean, it just looks like a book to me. You know, it's another book. But I've come to know through the years that there are stories that you can read, and then you'll read them again, and then you'll read them again, and every time he will enlighten something in that. He'll bring it alive. He'll, he'll impress upon you something about it or something to do, or something to change. And scripture is unique in that way. So when I had this date in front of me that Troy had asked me to come, I set out to find, what, where would you have me go, Lord? What would you have me do? I met with Ryan. We talked. We prayed. And I told him then that I'd been going through a study of Luke. Uh, David Wilson teaches a wonderful class back the hallway, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, second service, he does a, a wonder, he's a great teacher. And then I've involved some, with some women in a Bible study, and they're going through Luke too. And so I've been in Luke for a while. But uh, there's a familiar story there called the parable of the sower. You probably have heard about it, or maybe heard a little bit about it anyway. And I, I recommend it to you, and I sort of started there. I thought, well, let me, let me just read through that and, and sort of see what that will look like. Um, and as I read, and I forgot to say the first service, but uh, Troy is going to sort of do a deep dive in this parable of the sower after the first of the year, so maybe this will get us warmed up a little bit. But um, Jesus sat down to tell this story, uh, and he was talking to a group of people who understood about agriculture, about putting seeds out and, and letting them grow for the crops that they needed to eat and that they would need to sell to make money to take care of their family. So the seed in this story is the word. That word I was just talking about, that living and active thing, um, the seed in the story is the word. And the soils that he talks of, there's four of them, the soils that he talks about are our hearts and where that seed grows and changes us. The first kind of soil that he mentions is this well-worn path. Um, I don't know what that means to you or what kind of word picture you get in your mind, but I get one. We used to go to Haiti a lot, and I've hiked up mountains to schools on the top of mountains to check kids out, and there's a well-worn path. And it's a path that um, could be rained on, and people would still walk on it. Or if it was dry and the sun was beating down on it, people would walk on it. So that the soil had been so packed down by people walking on it, that it was very hard and very firm. And you can sort of also picture in your mind then that if you had a handful of seed and you threw it on that kind of soil, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bounce off. Can, can you see that? It's not going to go into that kind of soil. And what he's saying in this story, 
about this kind of soil is that there are people who have that kind of heart. They've hardened their heart to the word. And more fearful than anything to me is that in the scripture, in this story, it says that the seed is sown and when it lands on hard soil, it lays there. It does not get into the person's heart. And the scripture even says it, the devil himself comes and scoops up the word that is laying there. Remember, the word is the seed. So they may not believe and be saved. Oh, it just breaks my heart. Hardened hearts and the word can't get in. It doesn't even get a start. The next kind of soil that he mentions is this rocky soil. Uh, the seed has a little bit of soil to sort of get into, but there are so many rocks in there that it doesn't do very well for very long because of lack of moisture and nourishment. The word gets in with joy, usually. I've seen that. Have you seen that in some people? They, they accept the word. They accept Jesus. But then very soon, it doesn't develop, and it tends to die. It even says in verse 13, they believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. Right at the very moment you should be pressing in, at that moment they fall away. The next kind of, of soil that he talks about is the seed that's thrown into soil that's full of weeds. You can picture that maybe in your backyard, I can. Um, and the weeds choke out what's trying to grow. And he calls the weeds the worries of life and the riches and pleasures of life. Those things choke out what God is trying to grow in that kind of heart. There's even a translation in verse 14 that says, their own anxious cares, the riches of this world, and the fleeting pleasures of this life choke out the word that's trying to grow. And they don't mature, and the seed dies. Remember, the seed is God's word. And then he comes to the fourth soil, and this is the good soil. And this is where the seeds go in. They fall and they grow to maturity. And those seeds stand against everything that life throws at it. There's even one place I read that said that soil takes in that seed and hears it deep in their hearts. And they cling to the word. Don't you love that? They cling to it. They press into it. And they keep it dear as they endure all things in the faith that's growing in their heart. Well, I was sort of ready to stop there. But then trying to sort of interpret that a little bit, you know, when you look at a piece of scripture and you're going to expound on it, you need to look at who's talking, where are they, who's go what's going on. And then you look at what's happened just before that scripture and what's happened after that to sort of put it in context. And that's kind of what, what led me then to chapter 7, because that was chapter 8 in Luke. So I go on to chapter 7, and then that brings me to the real story that I want to share with you today. I couldn't lay it down. Right when I got into chapter 7 of Luke, there were three short stories sort of all lined up there. I like that. I like a trilogy. I like three, and they were all sort of lined up there, and I just want to tell you what those three were shortly, just briefly. The first one is the faith of a centurion. That's the, name, that's the label that was on the story. The centurion, now remember, he's a Roman. He's not even a Jew. 
Um, he's a Roman soldier, and he had a servant that he valued, and the servant was sick. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard that Jesus was healing people. And so he went and asked some Jews, would you go ask this Jesus I'm hearing about if he would heal my valued servant? Even better in the story, the Jews said yes. And they went to Jesus and they explained to him, this centurion helps the Jews. It would be a good thing if you would heal his servant for us. And he did. There was a verse in the middle of that story that said, the centurion did not consider himself worthy to even come and talk to Jesus. He said to him, just say the word to heal my servant and it will be done. What I learned in that little short story was that we're not worthy to go to Jesus. I'm not, you're not. I couldn't go and look him in the face except that he made a way for me to do that. He made the way for us because he wants us so badly. He did this for the centurion, and the centurion knew who Jesus was then, and he believed, and his request was granted. The next story says Jesus raises a widow's son. Now, that's kind of intriguing, isn't it? Jesus raises a widow's son. Jesus and his, his disciples are traveling now together, and as they travel, they've even got a crowd that's coming with them, following them around, because they know that Jesus heals and does things, and they want to see what's going on. So they come to this small town called Nain, it's kind of a funny word, Nain, and they come towards the city gates, and as they do, they see a burial procession going by. And when they inquired, they found out that it was the only son of a widowed woman. Well, this woman would be in trouble in that society. She would no longer have protection and help from a man in her life, and she would have been in trouble. And out of pure compassion, Jesus stops. And then even further in verse 13, it says, his heart went out to her. Do you love that? His heart went out to her. He even goes further and says, don't cry. Compassion walking around folks don't cry he stopped and saw what was happening and he went up and touched the coffin and had the son live again in verse 15 it even says the dead man sat up and began to talk wouldn't you love to know what he said I want to know what he said I think that'd be such a cool part of the story but Luke didn't give us that the son sits up and starts talking, and even further, Jesus says, it says in the scripture, Jesus gave the son back to his mother. Wow, he sees us like that, folks. He sees us in love and in compassion. And then that's the second story, and then the third story comes. There's a little inner interaction there between Jesus and the disciples of John the Baptist, and then we come to the third story. It's in uh, Luke 7, starts in verse 36, and the title of the story is Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. Well, the title alone caught my attention, Anointed by a Sinful Woman. How did that happen? How did a sinful woman get to Jesus? The first thing I found out was that that story, this third story, this is the only place in all of the Gospels that it's recounted. I read through it. You know what I do sometimes when I'm reading a specific story like that that catches my attention? 
I'll go and print it off, just that story. And I'll do big type and I'll do double spacing and all of that and print it so I can read just it and not be distracted by anything else. And I have room to underline and what's, what's, what's catching my eye, what's remarkable to me. I circle things. I write down the things that I have questions about. And that's what I did with that third story, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. So let's look at it together. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She came that night on purpose. She came prepared. She brought the sweet-smelling oil with her because she was about a task of coming to anoint and worship Jesus. Word about Jesus had gotten around. The centurion's servant was healed. People would have known that. And then the woman whose son had died, in the scripture it says there was a large crowd from the town walking with that widow to go out and bury her son. She was well-known. She was well-liked. And there were people there who saw what Jesus did. Word got around. And we don't know from the story, but somewhere, and maybe in the crowd that saw the son raised from death, the sinful woman saw Jesus and took note of him. Compassion, love, and care, and concern. And maybe that's what caught her eye. Maybe she had never had that before, but now she sees it in Jesus. She sees him as the Savior she so desperately needs, and he sees her. And after that, she's different. Now she believes that Jesus is her Savior. And here she is that night, maybe a few nights later, making her way uninvited into the home of the Pharisee with one thing in mind, to honor and worship this Jesus that she had found. Look what it says in verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The arrangement at a dinner back then was probably different than what your Thanksgiving meal was. We sat around a table, chairs all pulled up. Back then, there was an inner courtroom with a long, low table and pillows all around it so that the guests would come and recline at the table with their feet away from the table. They would lean on their left elbow so that their right hand was free to eat with. It was common, which I thought was kind of funny when I read this, for some other people not the guests that were invited for the meal, but some other people around the town to come to the Pharisee's home that night and stand around the wall and watch them eat so that they could overhear the conversation that was going on at the dinner. I thought that was cool. They didn't come to eat. But this evening, it was all different because the woman that everyone knew that lived a sinful life came to the meal on purpose. And here she is, making her way into the room, but not stopping to stand around the wall, going directly to Jesus 
kneeling at his feet, weeping out of pure love and adoration because she finally found a savior to forgive her of her sins. She's kneeling and touching him. Her tears fall on his feet. She takes her hair loose and wipes his feet with her hair. She pours the oil on his feet. It's a very intimate and personal act of worship. And while she's doing this, Simon, the Pharisee, is there too. Listen in verse 39. <clears throat> when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, pay attention here, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Well, right off, Simon gives you a tip as to how, what he's thinking about the whole situation. He's questioning who Jesus even is. If this man were a prophet, he said. And a Pharisee also knew that if such a woman touched him, he would be defiled and not able to go to the temple to worship. It looks almost like Simon was more interested in what Jesus was going to do with this sinful woman than he had any thought about the sinful woman. Remember it said, he said to himself, but the very next verse says, Jesus answered him. <laughs> you got to love that. And you don't really get that unless you stop and slow down and read the scripture. Simon said to himself, but Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And right when I read that, that's where I stopped. And I couldn't get by that because Jesus lit that up for me. I felt like he was saying, Anne, I have something to tell you. I know that he wants to talk to me, and I know he wants to talk to you. He has things to say to us. He has something for each of us. So then Jesus launches into a story, a parable. Verse 41, this is the story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now this is Jesus talking to Simon. Now which of them will love him more, Jesus said. And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see that? He's looking into the face of the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. Do you see this woman, Jesus said? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Don't miss that. She knows that her sins are forgiven because she's found a savior. She's forgiven and she knew it. Further in verse 47, it says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Notice in the story, the woman never speaks. She never says a word. You can see if you look around that this is kind of early in the beginning of Luke. Jesus is beginning to travel around. He's gathered his disciples. Word is getting out that scripture is fulfilled in this man. The story is about two people who were in debt, one for a small amount and one for a debt that equaled over a year's wage. Simon saw the woman as the one with the biggest debt, but Jesus saw the woman with the most love because her sins were forgiven. It's a little scary to me that Simon didn't even understand that he was in debt. Simon thought he had little to be forgiven of, so his love was little. Sometimes I think in the scripture, the Pharisees are sort of given a bad rap. You know, they're held in a bad light. But I think in this situation, Jesus liked Simon. He went out of his way to come to his house for dinner. Notice that he calls him Simon, his first name. He doesn't call him by his title, which would have been Pharisee. He took great pains to tell this story to Simon. And the thing that lit up in that story for me is that Jesus knows that we have a great debt that we could never pay. He comes for us to make a way for us to live forgiven like that woman and full of the Holy Spirit. Simon was just being given his chance at faith. This woman had chosen the better way. We can choose the way of faith, the heart that we have to hear scripture, and with God's help, it can become all that we need. We become aware of our need to have our debt of sin forgiven. It says in verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. The woman was desperate and determined to get to Jesus because she loved him for forgiving her. And Jesus wants to get to us. He climbs over things, folks. He puts people in our way to get our attention. I think there's two takeaways from this whole thing. The first one is, the woman loved much because she had found her Savior. Do you imagine in your wildest dreams, after what we read that she did, that she left Simon's house that night and went back to the life that she had lived before, the life of a sinner? I don't think she did. I think she had an encounter with Jesus. And she knew that he had forgiven her. And she went forward in a whole different way. She had faith, and it would forever change what every day looked like for her. And it's the same for us. The second takeaway is that we all have a debt too big to pay. A debt that we cannot possibly pay. We don't know if Simon found his way there. But Jesus took time to stop out of compassion and go to his house for dinner and tell him a story. Simon, I have something to tell you. And he's here today and wants to tell us something. Don't get up and leave this place the same way you came in if you don't have Jesus in your heart. There's no need for you to do that. No reason for you to do that. Right here and right now, you can look at your heart and see where it is. Because what happens right after the sinful woman story? The parable of the sower. 
the status of our heart matters in how we receive the word and how we receive Jesus. Let your heart be the word that will come and find a home, where the word will come and find a home. Don't ignore the word as in the well-worn path. Don't take the word in but give it no further thought so that it leaves you quickly as in the rocky soil. Don't take in the word but develop no root so that when hard times come and they will, you fall away as in the soil full of weeds and thorns. Jesus clearly says here to have a noble and good heart that hears the word and retains it and then by persevering produces a crop a hundredfold. It's given in the word that we take in. And where, oh where, do we find that? Well, in Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it's not just ear hearing, it's heart hearing also. The word needs to be in your life. The heart is described as good soil. Listen to the word. Take it in. Let it mold you and change you. He tells us through the story of the sinful woman whose heart was changed, that ours can be changed too. I'm a living example of that. He comes in and changes our heart. Don't leave here without him today. Take this story in, and if you haven't, ask him to come in and live in your heart. This is a remarkable song that Ryan has found for us. Would you stand with us and worship as we sing this song and listen to the words? Oh, 
I love these words. You take them in and listen. May God, our true Father, release upon your lives the riches of his kind favor and heavenly peace through the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. God bless you.